You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Welcome to History Happy Hour, a special series from History Uncovered. It's the end of September 2023, and we've handpicked a few of our favorite history stories from this month. Today, we'll be talking about... The investigation of an unknown tunnel beneath Poland's Saxon Palace. How a Bronze Age girl buried with 180 animal bones was uncovered in Kazakhstan. The discovery of a 3,700-year-old Bronze Age remains in Turkey with preserved hair and skin. How archaeologists found a 2,600-year-old child's shoe in an Austrian salt mine. And how the Great Wall of China was damaged by construction workers who tried to create a shortcut. As well as a number of historic anniversaries, including the Great Kanto Earthquake in Japan, the founding of Google, and much more. I'm all interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. And I'm all that's interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. And welcome to History Happy Hour. Yeah, it feels like a good variety this month and like a little bit different. Nothing too depressing this time around. Nothing too depressing. And we don't have any metal detectors or vampires. We almost so had metal detectors. That's true. <laughs> it was, yeah, on, it was on left on the list. cutting room floor. <laughs> but I think we... that's for the best because <laughs> that comes up every single month. It's always like he like just bought a metal detector and then he found some amazing <laughs> stuff with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, these people get so lucky. They're like day one. Yeah. They like, walked out of the store and turned it on just to make sure it would work. And the next thing you know, there's like a whole palace made of gold right below their feet. Yeah. And, and they're like, I can't believe this happened. And, <laughs> and it's always a once in a lifetime discovery. Amazing. I, I do love those <laughs> stories. It, ma- it makes me want to buy a metal detector. I think I've said that before, but... We'll dig into our our news stories. And the first one we have here is this tunnel that was discovered under the Saxon Palace in uh, Poland that no one knew about. Yeah, very interesting. The palace itself was built a long time ago um, in the 17th century. But this tunnel is from the 20th century from around, well, from right before World War II. It seems that it was built by the Polish Army Command. And it's pretty big. It's 150 feet long. And seems like it was built in like 1933 because the bricks are stamped with that date. But they don't really know much about it other than it was used by right. the army for a bit. And then, of course. Yeah. Well, and the palace itself was like, de- yeah, destroyed in 44. Yeah. So it's sort of like a bit of a mystery, but apparently it was used for a while and they were like shocked and excited to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it was just like in preparation of the impending war. Because it seems like the tunnel was equipped with like a telegraph cable and like meant to kind of mm-hmm. not be a shelter, but like definitely meant to be kept under wraps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's no documents that they found like of this tunnel existing. So, yeah, it seems like a, a well-kept secret that's only recently been. Yeah, I think that's that's so fascinating. It just went unnoticed for so long. I mean, I guess no one's really walking around the palace ruins often, but. No, I think it's like pretty overgrown and they've only yeah. recently done these excavations. And when you I mean, that's like, oh, a tunnel ah, must be very exciting. 
I guess there's not much more to say about that because they don't they don't really know much more about the tunnel. Yeah, I've, there's been a lot of that this month, like covering new. I don't know, maybe not for you, but for <laughs> me, there's been a lot of stuff where I've covered where it's just like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what happened. The one I wrote today was crazy. It was because I, I was like, you know, I'm writing this article about this guy who got mummified over the course of 16 days, which is insane on its own. Not so fast. They don't know how he died. They don't know how he mummified so quickly. This comprehensive study that like analyzed him, hmm. they just concluded with, and we don't know what happened. Where was he found? In uh, Bulgaria, just by like in his house. No, by some uh, railway tracks. Weird. Yeah, they huh. they had one theory that like maybe the wind from the trains passing by like helped the oh. um, mummification process. But then our editor Matt told me this is the second time that's happened in Bulgaria. What? Like in the same area? How did Matt know that? I, I guess just as he was doing like his, <laughs> but his yeah. Diligence. Uh, yeah, back in 2015, the, the crazy thing is it was 16 days again. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. Like both times huh. these guys mummified over the course of 16 days. It was in a different spot in, in Bulgaria, but like same huh. person analyzed both bodies too. It's crazy. Wow. Sounds like something's in the air in Bulgaria. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. It's so weird. Weird. The next news story is there was a bit more information, although it's still a bit of a mystery. It's in Kazakhstan. They found the burial of this girl from Central Asia's Bronze Age. So that's between 3200 BCE and 1000 BCE. And the weird thing about the grave is that she was buried with 180 ankle bones from sheep or cattle. Specifically ankle bones? Yeah. That's weird. It was weird. ankle bones, also a couple of shoulder bones, and then some other like grave items. But they don't really know what the deal is with all those bones. It's an unusual find. And yeah. it could mean like, it could be like good luck, or like, um, you know, well wishes onto like the next world or something or a cult they're just don't they don't really know yeah there's a lot of that bronze age stuff that's just like speculative or unknown because there was no i mean like written record or anything it was just yeah this stuff's been passed down i right. mean they have like some they kind of have to guess about these things um it clearly she seemed like she was loved or venerated in some way to have all this in her grave the other thing beside the bones was there was like a, a, a disc with a frog on it and they don't really know what that means either, but they've never found something like that before. So huh. it's a curious, curious yeah, like, find. Yeah, like, like what, like they carved the frog into it? Like on like a bronze disc, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You don't see a lot of frog symbolism ever. No. There was uh, some frog symbolism that the archaeologist mentioned. Let's see. They said, the image of the frog has had different meanings among many people since antiquity. It's associated with the image of a woman in labor and the cult of water. Hmm. But they don't really know what, in this case, the frog was supposed to mean. Right. They just kind of threw that one out there, too. The cult of water. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, because yeah. frogs live in water. I was like, like how casually it's mentioned. Oh, it had dealt with the cult of water. It's like, wait, can we expand on that a little bit? What is that? What is that? <laughs> You know, everyone knows about <laughs> everyone the cult knows of water. the cult of water. They're up there with the Illuminati and the New World Order. Yeah, right. Yeah, very successful cult. <laughs> yeah, but that was a cool find and a mysterious one. Yeah, for sure. And not our only uh, story about Bronze Age discoveries. That's right. Yeah, this next one. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, forgot I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> that happens <laughs> um yeah no it was cool uh in turkey these archaeologists were um doing excavations and came up 
upon these two really weirdly well-preserved remains from uh, two different people in like who lived in the Bronze Age, and they had bits of their skin and brains still. Yeah, so weird. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly rare to find either of those things. Mm-hmm. Especially this old. Right. I mean, that we're talking like thousands, like literally 3,700 yeah. years old. So Right. Well, this is what reminded me, the mummy story kind of reminded me because they, they, think, they thought it was particular conditions that preserved their remains like this. Like right. something had happened to them. Their theory was that they'd been killed while fleeing like a fire. Yeah. And the fire had preserved them in this way. Yeah, the heat just kind of like did something. Yeah. Uh, it was like a, uh, there's like a whole process to it. But yeah, essentially just like the high heat created this chemical reaction that they think might have led to this. But I, what I thought was really crazy about this though was that they've found remains of brains before, like four mm. or five times. It's not like a ton, but like, it was the this is the only time they've ever found skin, which mm-hmm. I would have thought it would have been the other way around. That's interesting because I know they found I guess it depends on like where because they uh, like those bog bodies have skin, don't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like maybe outside of water. Yeah. Well, those yeah. I mean, the bog bodies are like mummified, too. So yeah. I think this might be notable because it was like basically just a skeleton, but like with, with some skin, on skin it. clinging to it still. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's so interesting, too, because like they, they think they were killed in this fire that was part of an assault on the like the whole city, but they don't know why the city was attacked. They're right. not sure. This is another one of those Bronze Age mysteries. Like, yeah, there's no way to know. I mean, they, they literally burned down any evidence. It's a lot of very like human focused stories today, which I guess the history ones usually are. But I know sometimes we did talk about like that one sundial. Sometimes it is just like oh, object that's right. based it's like objects, coins, yeah. shipwrecks. Yeah, it's a lot of co- it's a lot of coins, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of coin discoveries. <laughs> I, I remember one time um, we were pitching articles and I pitched a coin article and he was like, for the love of God, like not another coin article. Oh. because we like <laughs> that was like right when I started. <laughs> We do like often there's like co- hordes of coins found from like the Roman Emperor Empire, yeah. the Civil War or something. And I mean, it's always interesting to me. But yeah, I remember when I first started, I thought you were like the coin girl. Because <laughs> I was like pitching <laughs> yeah. coin articles. <laughs> there are interesting stories. Why did someone hide them in a cave? I don't know. Yeah. Well, the stuff that's on the coins is often really interesting, too. Because yeah. it's like, especially like you talk like Viking era or mm. even older than that. They It wasn't just like mass producing pennies. It was like, you know, they were more individually crafted. Right. And yeah. often had like symbolic imagery on them. Yeah, I know. One of the most interesting ones we covered in the last year was about this coin they found in uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe. It was an, a Roman emperor, but not one that anyone had like like knew about. Weird. And it was a mystery. And they thought maybe it was this like general who had kind of like taken over his like military region. But it was all very, I don't know, one yeah. of those things like it could be this, it could be this other thing and da 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 da. But I thought that was interesting. Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow. This is another cool find in, this is in an Austrian salt mine from the Iron Age. 
and it's a child's shoe, 2,600 years old. Yeah. And the interesting thing, sort of like the mummy you wrote about maybe and about the preserved skin and brain is the shoe was preserved because of the salt. It kept the bacteria and stuff from coming in. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All this time. I had a really long conversation with my girlfriend's dad about salt and how it's such an interesting, like an important historical thing. Huh? Uh, well, it actually stemmed from I was playing this this video game, which was like a strategy game and very like a Game of Thrones esque political machination stuff going on. And there's like three kingdoms, and one of the kingdoms, like their whole like this one's in charge of all the iron, and this one has something else. And then the third kingdom, their like big thing was they had salt. And I was like, who the hell would ever go to war hmm. over? salt and then i was like actually that makes a lot of sense though it stuck out as odd to me because it was in like you know this like magical fantasy game where it could have been anything yeah and they they kept it very grounded and were like no it's salt and i was like why yeah why why i guess you would go to war over salt if someone had all of it because that was how you kept like meat from going bad before refrigeration yeah Yeah. Hmm. so it makes sense that yeah the salt would be the thing because this is a leather shoe right yeah so it's an organic material and then you have this yeah high amount of salt just keeping it around for years and years and years yeah no it is fascinating i went to a it wasn't a salt mine i'm not really sure what the phrase would be but it was in france and it was a salt farm i don't know but you would go and you could see you know where the sea cut came in and then they would like have all these they would capture the salt and then kind of like oh okay you know so they weren't like digging for it it was like no, it's fishing from, I'm for sure salt. From the sea. <laughs> and then there'd be like these piles of salt because in like Normandy and Brittany, like their salt, their gray salt is like famous. So we went and saw one of their salt. Uh, oh, that's really cool. The phrase is. Yeah. But anyway, this was different because it was a mine. And I guess the interesting thing about this story is that it's it gives an idea of what like the role children might have played in these salt mines and um, whether or not they were like workers, which is a possibility or kind of like just helping out, accompanying the adults or holding a torch or something. But clearly they were in the mines. Yeah, I'm sure they were put to work in the mines. Kids can get down into tight tunnels that adults can't. I mean, I think we should put them back in the mines. Controversial, (laughs) controversial take. I'm kidding. There you go. Hot take here. (laughs) Yeah, they have found skeletons from the era that show signs of like hard, repetitive work in like very young children. So it seems like probably they were used as workers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we yeah. they, were, they were still doing that in America up until like late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. And there have been like news stories lately about slaughterhouses and like they found like children of migrants working. So there's lots of like under the table stuff going on. So, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Anyway, our last news story that we'll cover is it's kind of like a one sentence story, I think, unless you have more <laughs> to say about it. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Given that I I wrote it, um, you're right. It could be a one sentence news story. So I was really struggling to make it hit my word count. Yeah, I could tell you did a great job because you went into all like the detail of like the Great Wall. Well, well, say what the story is. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Two construction workers were arrested in China after they literally knocked down a portion of the Great Wall of China. Because they didn't mm-hmm. want to go around it. Yeah, want to make a shortcut. Yeah, they want to make a shortcut through it. Obviously, it's China's like biggest cultural landmark, the Great Wall. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was really, I found really interesting about this story was if you look at the portion of the wall that they broke through, it's not at all what you'd imagine. When I read the headline at first, I imagined like, oh my god, they like what, <laughs> like the Great Wall yeah. of China that's like like stories tall and people walk. Right, and it's it's really not that. I mean, the Great Wall is like a bunch of different little segments, and some of them are very very old and basically just nothing more than like a couple pieces of wood and dirt mm-hmm. and holding it up. And this portion it is wall it's like a 
a brick wall, but it really just kind of looks like two big mounds. Yeah. Like you, you wouldn't recognize it from a distance. It's not what you typically think of when you think of the Great Wall of China. Did they know that it was the Great Wall, part of the Great Wall? They must have. They had, had to it. have. They had to yeah. have. Known. I mean, like, yeah, hmm. it's pretty distinct still. Right. And this, it was like, uh, like ancient, this wall, even though it's oh, not yeah. as, yeah. Yeah, this one. Um, I think you said the Ming. It's the Ming Great Wall, yeah. So between the 14th and 17th century. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Ancient. Um, but yeah, apparently that's like the part of the wall that's sustained the most damage over the years. Beijing Times reported that only about, th- or that 30% of the Ming Great Wall is just completely gone at this point. Hmm. Wow. Apparently a bunch of farmers used to just like go and take bricks from the wall when they were building stuff oh. on their farms. They would just, oh, got this big wall over here. I guess I'll just take some of that for myself. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> And it's only been a World Heritage Site since 1987. So it's, hmm. I mean, even into recent years, people, were, you could just break part of the Great Wall off in like 1986. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, like China wasn't as open until around that time. Nixon yeah. there in the 70s. I guess as we move into our historic anniversaries, we'll stay in the realm of Asia for our yeah. first anniversary. Yeah, I'm traveling across the sea a little bit there, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, the 100th anniversary on September 1st of the Great Kanto Earthquake, which I just wrote a whole post about. Sounds pretty harrowing. Yeah, there was this port city, Yokohama, on the Japanese coast that was essentially Japan's gateway to the West. It was where all of um, like the Western ideas were coming into Japan, um, where like the culture started to take on some of these more like liberal ideas from Western societies that like directly contrasted the more conservative, traditional Japanese culture of the time. And then this massive earthquake happens and it sends like the earthquake itself was pretty devastating, but it was really the fallout of it. It was the tsunamis and things hmm. that ravaged Japan and killed like hundreds of thousands of people and basically leveled the city of Yokohama to the ground. And yeah, the uh, Japanese government at the time kind of used that as not an excuse. What's the word I'm looking for? They used it to like further their agenda. They basically said like, this is our punishment for changing our way of life for hmm. acting like these Westerners. Uh, they kind of used it as like a way to like rally people and and revert Japan to its more traditional, um, like post-feudal conservative structure. And I just think the uh, like, obviously, I'm I, it gets a little bit speculative here at the end. But like, had that not happened 20 years later during World War Two, Japan would have been a very different country than what it ultimately Mm. became so it sounds like it's a kind of a conservative turn after the earthquake yeah yeah it was like imagine like you you have this very conservative government but you have these new liberal ideas that are coming in and people are starting to latch on to them you want to shut that down well then this massive calamity happens and you can use Mm. that as a way to be like let's let's take control back now let's fix quote unquote fix this mess by reminding people of what our traditional values are and Hmm. wow yeah, it just sounds like all the stats of the earthquake are just like horrifying that yeah. I read. Yeah, it's like really bad. It wiped yeah. out a significant chunk of the population. Yeah, that was like living in Seattle. That's always like the that was like the fear. The worst thing is like the tsunami after the earthquake is like it's just like 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting story for any um anyone listening to like dive into that and just it was it was a very pivotal moment in Japanese in modern Japanese history. Hmm. That was fascinating. Our next one is a little not as sad, I guess, although it's about a death. <laughs> yeah, just one guy <laughs> this time, though. It's fine. It's, it's uh, September 2nd is the anniversary of J.R.R. Tolkien's death. And fun fact, we're recording today on September 22nd, which is the birthday of Bilbo and Frodo Baggins. Is it really? Yes. I didn't know that. In the book, it's set, they say it's September 22nd. They're, they share the same birthday. That was like part of their like bond is that they share a birthday. I knew, Yeah, and I knew they shared a birthday. I just didn't know that it was... September 22nd. I guess it's weird to me that he would just use regular months. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Like, he pulls in kind of, like, funny uh, things. But, yeah, he died on September 2nd, 1973, at the age of 81. He's a... I mean, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And a couple years ago, there was an exhibit of um, his work at the Morgan Library. And it was, like, the coolest thing in the world. It had, like, just, like, napkins and, like, books from his, I think it's like, young adulthood where he, like, oh, scribbled out ideas yeah. or illustrations. And, like, he was just consumed with this world. And the little artifacts he left behind were just so cool to see. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. That's really neat. Yeah, so cool. So we can say happy to happy birthday to Frodo and Bilbo. And then it's also the birthday. Ha, huh, here's a segue. Of Google this month. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with that? <laughs> September 4th. Yeah. September 4th, 1998, Google founded. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time before Google and time after Google, and here it is. Yeah, it was founded by two PhD students at Stanford. Apparently, its first iteration, it was called Backrub. Which... Oh, <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I think Google's better. That's terrible. Why? That's Why? <laughs> was that just like a like an alpha build? Like it was just like the development name for it? Or were they actually going to call it Backrub? I think it was just an early idea. Okay. Imagine going yeah. to Backrub.com. I know. To look something up. Be like, yeah, yeah, just go Backrub it. <laughs> it sounds like... Like kind of like a, I don't know, there's something like weirdly like erotic about Backrub. As yeah, a I don't like it. And I don't like it. Yeah. Anyway, they went with Google in the end. And obviously that's like changed a lot for, I mean, like everything in terms of the yeah. internet. It's literally how we're employed. <laughs> yeah, right. Because people search for things and they find, they find us yeah. sitting on the Google, Google page. Wow. Yeah. I guess the next thing is another, another death. And that's the death of Johnny Cash. Yeah. 20 years ago. 71. Mm-hmm. September 12th. D- how did he die? Diabetes. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. How did Tolkien die while we're at it? He had a bleeding ulcer and a chest infection. Oof. Yeah. You know, his grave has his name and his wife's name and then like two elves names from an elf elven love story. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And for I mean, a second, I, I thought you meant Johnny Cash and I was like, that's oh, no. weird. <laughs> <laughs> Big yeah, Lord Tolkien. of the Rings fan, <laughs> Tolkien. And I mean, I, I think that's really cool, but I kind of wonder what his wife thought about that. If she was like, like for this one thing, could we like not do elves? <laughs> could we but... <laughs> not do the elf thing just once? <laughs> just once on our <laughs> grave. He said his like marriage vows all in elvish and she's like, that's right. great. I don't actually know what you said. <laughs> But I guess she was fine with it, um, although she died first. So I guess, I don't know, maybe he had the final say. Yeah. She just had a regular tombstone at first. And, and then, then he's, he's like, like oh. oh, well, 
hey, when I kick the bucket, add some Elvish stuff on there. <laughs> She'll never know. Are you a Johnny Cash fan at all? Uh, I mean, yeah, passingly. I don't like actively seek out Johnny Cash, though I do love his cover. Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails hurt. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Johnny Cash is a legend, so. Yeah, yeah. I was reading his obituary um, before we recorded, and I learned that he couldn't read music, so he would just compose things in his head and just play it again and again in his head um, until he could put it on tape, which is how the Beatles did it, too. Yeah. Like they, that, but I think Paul once was like, our, our songs are so catchy because we had to come up with a song that we could remember. And so yeah, keep it in sense. your head until you can um, play it. So I thought it was yeah. kind of interesting that Johnny Cash was, was the same. On to the next. This was September se- or September 20th, 1973. was the Battle of the Sexes between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs playing tennis. Yeah, he was a self-proclaimed um, chauvinist who said that women were inferior oh, and couldn't God. handle the pressure. And that even in his 50s, he could beat any female player. And then King, like, beat him yeah. pretty soundly. The funny thing I was reading about this, it was like this huge event, obviously, and watched by tens of millions of people. And when she appeared, she appeared in a litter carried by men. And when he appeared, he appeared in a rickshaw pulled by female models. So interesting. Yeah. It's our version of the Roman Empire's, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. They made that into a movie. Like recently. Yeah. Right? 2017 with Emma Stone and Steve Carell. Oh, that's not that recent, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Self-proclaimed chauvinist. That's a thing to be, I guess. Well, it's pretty bold to be like, and I could beat, you know, anyone. And then then she won. I'm not I don't know much about tennis, but she won three games against him. Oh. Or wow. sets, or I don't know. Yeah. Our final anniversary is kind of a cool one too which is about like someone stopping a nuclear uh, catastrophe here yeah um it's this russian russian guy stanislav petrov yes he was working with the soviet air defense and these alarms started going off on september 26th which said that american missiles were like had been launched right which they had not they had not (laughs) to be clear but he had to make a decision about like what to do and he said he thought it was probably a false alarm but it was kind of like a 50-50 guess. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a scary moment. Like, Yeah. You're like, oh, that could be a false alarm. Or <laughs> He said later, I had a funny feeling in my gut. I didn't want to make a mistake, obviously. I made a decision, and that was it. And then he said, when people start a war, they don't start it with only five missiles, which I guess makes sense. Yeah. But like, obviously, that if he had reacted differently that could have started something pretty bad i mean yeah if he had retaliated to this false alarm then the united states would have retaliated Retaliated. to the very real bombs that were now flying through the air (laughs) so yeah yeah it's so funny like people refer to him as the man who saved the world but what i find just so interesting about the story is like he did it by restraint Mm -hmm. i think that's it's like a really like allegorical Mm -hmm. um yeah message to it almost you know i mean like this could almost be like a story from mythology uh, if you switched out bombs for like god's wrath or something (laughs) well even like even like with bombs like that he approached it with patience and like right right the idea that like remaining level-headed and and showing restraint Mm -hmm. can ultimately be the better option than like 
in this case, inaction was better than action. Right. There's probably a better lesson that somebody else could word better for it. But, <laughs> but I get I, it. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you're going to pull a lesson away from it, um, I think that's that's really interesting and not something that it's a good lesson. It's not a typical lesson. Usually, like you would refer to somebody being a hero because they did something. In this right. case, him not doing something is what in action. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it is, it's remarkable because like things at the time were very tense between the U.S. and the USSR. So, yeah, yeah. Even in spite of that, he was able to yeah not not be too reactive to this. Right. He died a couple years ago. Yeah. I was just looking. Yeah, that he up. died kind of like he's like a kind of an unknown figure for most of his life, even though yeah. he'd done this. Yeah, he lived, lived to be seventy-seven. This way, he had, a, he had a good life. We'll end with the cocktail segment as like a little pick me up at the end here. Yeah, I mean, our, the cocktail this time is not a history cocktail so much, but there are so many Lord of the Rings themed cocktails out there. Although Tolkien himself liked beer more than cocktails. Yeah. So that's fine. I get that. Mirror This is a drink offered by the elves, which revitalizes whoever's drinking it. And I this was on a website, you know, <laughs> it's out um, there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's out there. And this includes white tea, London dry gin, elderflower liqueur, which I think is a perfect oh, thing yeah. for an elfish drink, honey syrup and orange blossom water. That sounds very elfy to me. Yeah, I might make that tonight. The one that I would order if this was in a bar was uh, Gandalf smoke rings. This one also does sound very good. Yeah, this one sounds really good. A little more specific with stuff you have to get. So cognac, scotch. Uh-huh. White tea syrup, spruce and birch bitters, a cinnamon stick, and pipe blown smoke on top. That's the cool part. Although That's I feel very like you cool. could you could make this even cooler by like lighting the cinnamon stick on fire, maybe somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. Incorporating that. Yeah, this is one I'm not gonna be making at home <laughs> because uh, I don't even know where to get spruce and birch bitters. Yeah, it's a lot of weird ingredients. And I I also don't have a pipe. You could get one. I could get a pipe. I won't though. All right. <laughs> as i was researching looking there, there's like a lot of people have a lot of ideas for lord of the Rings cocktails but i found that there was this bar in seattle called bar sabine that had i think like a month of lord of the rings in cocktails very cool and their instagram was really fun because they had the cocktails and, and the recipes and then one of the cocktails was like in a golem shaped glass and it was just like cool looking yeah i'll have to check it out um so this one was called the last march of the ents which of course as lord of the rings fans know is when they march on um isengard the mar- last march of the has mezcal, citol, which I don't know what that is. Me neither. Pumpkin vodka, which sounds weird. Yeah. Papaya, sumac, I don't know what that is either. Uh, Mastilla and firewater and lime. So a couple of, again, odd ingredients. Firewater? Firewater. What is firewater? I don't know. There's a firewater kitchen in Deep Creek, Maryland. I don't think that's it. Probably not. I don't, I don't know. It just says high, high-proof beverages, particularly illegal moonshine. Hmm. Yeah, wow. I have no idea. Get the bartender on uh, the podcast. But anyway, those are some Lord of the Rings cocktail ideas people had. I think, yeah, I'd go for the Gandalf smoke rings one. Yeah, yeah. If I were out and that were on a menu, that would absolutely be the one I would If think. I were out, yeah. Right. It does sound too complicated to make. If I'm going to make any at home, though, it's going to be the Miravore. Hmm. That's doable. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. I guess I don't have orange blossoms. Yeah. Well, you can improvise, I suppose. That's true. Some of these cocktails, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of like with our friend JRR here where, you know, it's beer's fine, too. I can go have a beer. Beer's nice. We have a brewery right down the right down the street from us. Oh, nice. That's dangerous, but, yeah. but nice. It's called Necromancer. It's very cool. They have a queer beer club there. Shout out. Shout out Necromancer Brewing in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll send you a free beer for... <gasps> 
for a do shout out. <laughs> Maybe. Do you think I so? Don't know. That'd be cool. Get them to uh, sponsor the show. I do love getting free samples from our sponsors. I guess that kind of wraps things up for this month's History Happy Hour. We yeah. will not be doing one in October because right. we have so many ghosts and ghouls to cover that there's just no room. So that's fine. We'll return yeah. in November. Well, next up, we're starting our, yeah, we're starting all of our spooky stuff. So we've got Sleepy Hollow and the Mermaid Inn. Haunted Mermaid Inn and then the Enfield Haunting. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Ghosts and ghouls. And um, I think Kara is going to join us, too, for Sleepy Hollow. For Sleepy fun. Hollow, right. Yeah. One of our editors. And... Yeah, it'll be a spooky month. Yeah. And as always, you can check out any of these stories on allthat'sinteresting.com. Um, we have stories related to pretty much everything we've talked about today. I mentioned the Great Canto Earthquake one. All of the news stories are there. Mm-hmm. Definitely have talked about Tolkien and Johnny Cash and all of that fun stuff there. Um, so yeah, check it out. You can always write us in here at podcast at allthat'sinteresting.com over email Say hello at 929-526-3029. And we'd love to hear from you there. Um, and of course, you can also... Did you mention the newsletter? You haven't yet. I did not. And you can also join our newsletter at allinteresting.com slash sign up or become a member at allinteresting.com slash membership. And yeah, always new stuff coming out. Everything's interesting, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we're getting into the yeah, we're getting into the spooky season stuff, so that's always and fun. And it's spooky season coming it is up. Spooky yeah. season. The leaves are already starting to change color around the house here. Really? I'm pumped about it. Um. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. Stick around. Um. For the next couple of weeks for our ghost stories, and excited for that as always. Love love spooky stories. Yeah. Good stuff coming. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.